Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Maddie Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Now, I've been planning to do this podcast for a long time. It's just continually been put on the back burner, but now... No more excuses, we're coming at you, here it is, the Exponential Performance Podcast, Episode 1. So for those that don't know me, my name's Maddie Graham, I'm a sports scientist and performance coach, and the aim of this podcast is to answer the questions, the tons and tons of questions that I get bombarded with um, about training, racing, uh, and just performance, health in general. So I want to give you as much information as I can so that you can train smarter and achieve your goals no matter one, where you live, two, who you are, or three, whatever your goals are. So as a bit of an introduction, what are you going to find here in this podcast? My aim is to provide practical, down-to-earth advice that's based on one, research, but then two, real-world results, the things that I've found have worked well with the athletes that I work with. To be honest, you're not going to find any BS here or hyped up American marketing crap. There are plenty of other podcasts out there that tick these boxes very, very well. So I want to avoid that. I want to keep it real world, practical, down to earth. So if you're keen on that, keep listening. If you're not, I'll see you later. So just a bit of an overview of what I want to tackle today. I want to give you a bit of a rundown on my background, just a bit of a history as our first introduction, and then I wanted to jump into some Q&A. I've got three questions that I want to answer and dig into a little bit that I've received um, via email over the last couple of weeks and also from my YouTube channel. So the first question, uh, just to give you a bit of an outline of what they're going to be, see if you want to stick around, um, is from a mountain bike athlete that's training for a long race, it's 230 kilometers, one stage, 3,000 meters of climbing, and they've got some questions about um, taste fatigue or complete loss of appetite, how to manage um, energy over a 14-odd hour race, and then is it better to stop for breaks, some pacing strategies there. The second question I've got, is about cross-training and how much cross-training should be incorporated into your peak season. And then also a final question about training with heart rate and what happens if your heart rate is high when you're training or low when you're training. So those are the three questions that I'm going to answer. But first of all, let's jump into a bit of a background overview of where I've come from. So just a bit of a background uh, about me if you don't know who I am. In 2009, I established Exponential Performance Coaching with the aim of providing cutting-edge training support for athletes of all levels to help perform their goals. I did this for a couple of reasons. So first of all is uh, I keep getting lots of questions and people asking me to help them with their training while I was studying at university. Um, but the second reason was that I felt that there was a big lack of scientific based training approaches um, being uh, implemented out there in the in the coaching world. Um, there were many coaches out there who were solely basing their 
coaching on their past experiences or on the traditional training approaches. While this is not exactly wrong, I felt there was a smarter way to do things uh, for tra to train and to race. So that's where the sort of concept came from and it's sort of carried through in different forms from that to here we are now. So I grew up um, in a small town uh, called Hokitika, which is on New Zealand's west coast of the South Island. Uh, when I was younger, I developed a massive passion for the outdoors, in particular um, the physical exertion and the feeling that you got from being outdoors, climbing mountains, kayaking down rivers, uh, mountain biking, tramping, I just loved it. The, the infamous coast to coast literally started just down the road from my house. Um, so each year, my dad would take me down to the start line early in the morning to watch the start. Seeing all of these athletes embark on such a journey, which in my mind was the ultimate at the time, I couldn't fathom how to do it, um, just sparked my interest and my drive to do this. So when I was old enough, um, at the time you had to be 18 to do the race, uh, I signed up, paid my money, and was straight in there and did it. Absolutely loved it. Um, I did the race another six times in different um, capacities. And that was the sort of really the time that fueled my future, I guess, but also just my passion um, about how to go faster, how to push myself. So I found myself after that down at Otago University studying at the School of Physical Education. Um, I, looking back on it, I went down there because I wanted to get faster myself in my racing, which probably, looking back on it, is not the best way to choose your university degrees in your, your future. But I was following my passion and I was loving it and wasn't looking back. So I studied down there for six years. Um, I did a master's degree in exercise physiology, more specifically about how blood volume is regulated in response to endurance and repeated high intensity exercise. Um, this has just got published later uh, uh, last year actually, now that we're in the new year. Um, and potentially in future podcast episode, we'll dive into this a bit more. At my second year of university, this is where all the questions started. How do I train for this event? What sort of training should I do to improve my hill climbing? So what I decided to do was, um, while all the other students and my mates were out partying after the uni day was finished, I shot down to the computer lab. We didn't have laptops back in those days. And I was writing training programs um, running a co and running a coaching business um, out of the university computer lab. So over the years, this morphed into exponential performance coaching to what it is now. And I work with athletes in all various sports, but the main ones I work with are endurance sports, um, multi-sport triathlon, adventure racing, road cycling, mountain biking, kayaking, that sort of thing. Um, but I also have done work in the past with Cycling New Zealand with the Olympic track program, canoe racing New Zealand, and I currently do some work for High Performance Sport New Zealand as a strength and conditioning coach with the snow sport program here in uh, Wanaka where I now live. So I currently live in a small town called Lake Hawea which is just outside of Wanaka in New Zealand stunning Queenstown Lake District and I live here with my wife and two daughters um, Elsie and Merritt who are two and four years old. So that's enough about me. I don't want this podcast to be about me but now you know who I am, what I want to do is tackle some questions 
and hopefully um, inform you and help you with your training a little bit. I really want to let this podcast take its own path a little bit. I want to hear from you. I want to know your questions so that I can provide you that, that the information that you want and that um, is useful to you. So if you do have any questions, please email me. My email will be hanging around wherever you've found this podcast. Leave a comment, email me, and I'll do my best to include these in the future episodes. I am also planning on getting some uh, guests on board, some interviews um, about interesting topics. So please be vocal, let me know what you want, and I'll do my best to get it for you. So first question here. So this person is doing a mountain bike race. It's 230 kilometers with 3,000 meters of climbing in a single stage. I'd love some tips on how to better execute this race. I've done it three times so far, but would really like to improve my time. The problems that they experience is the first is a complete loss of appetite after four to six hours of riding. Uh, Mismanagement of energy since the race takes me 14 hours or so. Um, being able to, uh, to see the telltale signs of when my race partner is about to bonk or hit the wall, blow up. And is it better to stop for breaks or try consistent pacing for such a long distance? So let's take a look at this. So the first question, um, and it is very common to have a loss of appetite during long events. And what this is largely put down to is what's called taste fatigue. So the body just gets fatigued of the same taste. It starts associ- You start associating that taste with negative things, it feeling sick, not you know, not feeling great. Uh, I remember my first ever coast to coast. I trained on this a particular um, bar and bananas all summer. I'd smash them in every training session. I felt that it was perfect for me. Didn't give me any GI problems. I could eat them for days and days and never have any problem. When it came to the race, I couldn't couldn't face them. This tasted disgusting, couldn't face eating another banana or muesli bar. And then it took me about two years after the race to face another banana because I'd built up in my mind this uh, association and this, this uh, so well, I built up this association with the bananas, these muesli bars, and this feeling of, of sick. So what I would suggest is during a race, if you are getting this taste fatigue, um, try mixing up your fuel intakes. Take a variety of different things. Rather than basing your plan around one primary flavor of nutrition or source of nutrition, such as bananas, Try taking lots of different things to get your required um, nutrition in during the race. So question two, um, how do you pace for a race of 14 hours or so? So in a long race like this, what I suggest is a hard, sustainable start. And the reason I recommend this rather than the traditional go out slow is because at the start of an event like this, This is where you have the most energy. This is where you're in the most, uh, the best place to push your your pace. Um, 
what the research has found is that if you go out slow, then you, you never are able to really recover that pace later on because what happens over a long event is that everybody starts to slow down as the event goes on. The people that perform the best are the ones that slow down the least uh, and, they're, and the ones that are further ahead towards the end of the event. So if you can imagine, if you start fast, you know you're going to slow down, you're going to slow down at a similar rate depending on training than someone who started slower, but they're not going to be able to build because everyone's slowing down. So if you're further ahead, you're still going to slow down, but you're further ahead. Hope that makes sense. So what I would suggest is start with a hard but sustainable start pace, then settle into your sustainable pace once you get into the swing of things, once the bunch starts to settle down, and a pace around about 10% below your threshold. So if you've got a heart rate monitor or a power meter, you'll be able to dial into this very well. And then as the race progresses, to, as you start to, to fall off the pace, so to speak, or everyone starts to slow down a bit, it's just a matter of trying to hold on as, as long as you can after that. But if you've got into that sustainable pace in the midsection of the race, that 10% below your threshold, you should be trucking ready to go. These races are often done as partners, so you ride two people next to each other, you've got to stay within 50 metres or so of each other. And this person wants to know, how am I able to see the telltale signs of my race partner is about to bonk or hit the wall? And because the reason they want to know this is that um, their race partner hitting the wall or bonking is just as a bad result as them bonking. So when it comes to hitting the wall or bonking, as uh, it's often known as well, prevention is the best cure. So what I would do is keep a very close eye on what your partner is eating and drinking as well. Make sure that pre-race that they have got a good nutrition and hydration strategy in place before you even start. And then it's a matter of making sure that, and it works both ways as well, is that if you keep reminding each other to eat and to drink, then you should stay on top of this nutrition. It's really useful to set an alarm on your, on your cycling computer or your watch or whatever GPS uh, heart rate monitor unit you're using to remind you to consume whatever nutrition you need to consume at regular intervals. So an alarm can be a really good reminder or just that buddy system of checking up on each other. So is it better to stop for breaks or try and keep a constant pace in such a long distance event? I would suggest to maintain your momentum and minimize stopping as little short stops while at the time don't seem like much, they soon add up. So if you can just keep relentless forward momentum, keep moving forward every possible opportunity. If you can do something while you're moving, then do it while you're moving. Um, that's best. If you've ever been out for a ride or a run or whatever it is and you've uploaded your data to Strava and you'll see the difference between the total time and the moving time, Often these can be really interesting to compare. What felt like a quite a continuous ride had all these little stops in it for whatever reason. 
little stops start to add up really quickly, especially over a race that is 14 odd hours long. So make it a little bit of a team value that you're going to keep moving as much as possible to minimize stopping. And if you can do that, then you're going to you know, maintain your momentum, you're going to maximize your time. Because if you do stop, it's just lost time at the end of the day. And also, if you do stop getting going again, you can find that you're out of your rhythm, it takes you a while to warm back into things. So my general rule of thumb is keep moving forward as much as you can, minimize your stopping. So that's question number one. I hope that answers that question for you. Second question is about cross-training. And this says to is to what extent should cross-training be incorporated into peak season training? Uh, it says that they're doing quite a lot of cross-training now. About half of their 8 to 11 hours a week are directly involved in my main, sorry, so about half of their 8 to 11 hours that they spend training a week is directly involved in their main sport, and the other half is obviously in their cross training. How much of this should I keep up? So, during the peak season is when your training wants to be the most specific to the event or the race that you're preparing for. So if you're training for a marathon, in that peak training phase, most of your training wants to be running. If you're training for a multi-sport race where you're running, cycling and kayaking, the majority of your training wants to be running, cycling and kayaking. You don't want to put your energy elsewhere. You want to do the majority of your training in your specific disciplines. That's going to help the, uh, the neuromuscular adaptations to be specific for the event. It's great during your off-season and your early base prep phase as you can get really good general conditioning and systemic, and systemic just means whole body, whole body cardiovascular adaptations which all can be crossed over as you get towards your main event because they're not specific. Specific adaptations happen uh, in specific body parts and also neuromuscular movement patterns. So cross-training, great during that base phase as something different to mix it up um, and to avoid uh, overuse repetitive pattern injuries as well. If you're injured and you're getting close to an event, then cross-training, um, throughout that peak season is obviously one the only way to go but can be very effective as well um, if you're just preparing for say a marathon again and you've got um, a lower limb injury then getting in the pool and doing some water running or aqua jogging that can be a really good way of um, keeping those running specific adaptations there but without the impact of it so how much cross-training you do in the peak season, what I would suggest um, is very case-by-case case depending on the situation, but I would say putting at least 80% of your time into your specific disciplines. And then depending on your goals, because if your goal is you know, pushing the pointy end of the field, then 
you know you want to be doing 100% of your training in those specific uh, sports if it's just to get through the event to enjoy it to participate then you could definitely increase the amount of cross training you're doing because at the end of the day you're doing it for fun you're not you know you don't have much invested in it in terms of competition so if it gets you fit to do the event then then go for your life so it definitely depends on the situation i hope that's helped answer your question a little bit but i'd say on general you want to be 80 percent of your time spent on your specific training and then the remaining 20 percent on cross training depending on you know your situation all right last question here so this question is about having a high heart rate so this person's gone out the door training they've got their heart rate monitor on and their heart rate is very high but they're just cruising so they don't feel like they're working hard but their heart rate is through the roof what should they do during their training so this is a great question and it's something that is quite common um, so before I answer this question I just want to talk a little bit about the background about how the heart is controlled because this uh, will hopefully help you understand what's happening um, during that training session now the heart is controlled by two branches of the autonomic nervous system now the autonomic nervous system is your brain and all of your nerve um, nerve fibers there is two branches of this called the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system now the parasympathetic nervous system is the rest and digest branch of the autonomic nervous system this acts as a break on the heart slowing it down so when this nerve is fired it slows down the heart or if the nervous impulse is withdrawn from the parasympathetic nervous system the heart will speed up so it's like a handbrake you can either put it on or take it off and that'll change the uh, speed of the heart the sympathetic nervous system on the other hand is the traditional fight or flight response and this stimulates the heart to increase its output so when this sympathetic nervous system is firing the heart speeds up when the parasympathetic nervous system is activated the heart slows down so now that the quick physiology lessons out of the way let's have a little bit of a look into it so if you're cruising along let's say you're out for a, um, a steady ride or a steady run and you look down at your heart rate monitor and it's through the roof it's a very good sign that your sympathetic nervous system is fizzed up whether it's from work life or training stress the stress hormones and the nervous activity in your body are causing your heart rate to be higher than normal because of this extra stress if this sounds familiar and you're experiencing it more than a for a couple of sessions then it's a good signal that your body requires some extra recovery because your sympathetic nervous system is jacked up and it needs some time to quieten down so what should you do in this case well if it's been happening for a couple of sessions on end so you've say done two sessions then what I'd suggest is you shut the session down 
hit home and get some extra recovery because you're in a fatigue state or a stressed state and your sympathetic nervous system needs some time to balance out. Usually if you catch it early, a day or two of recovery is enough to you know, balance it out back to normal. The other scenario that you might see, and I'll cover it now even though it wasn't included in the question because it gives you the other side of the puzzle, is that you have a very low heart rate. No matter how hard you push, you can't get your heart rate up into the required training zones. So if you feel this, what's happening is that your heart is not responding to the sympathetic nervous system anymore. So usually what happens is this is this happens after a prolonged period of that first scenario. Your sympathetic nervous system has been increased for quite a long time, prolonged period of time, days, weeks, maybe even months. And the heart has become desensitized to all the hormones um, that get bombarded with it and also the nervous firing. So it becomes unresponsive to those signals. It's desensitized to it or the muscles fatigue so it's limiting the intensity. So no matter how hard you push, your heart's not going to come up and your legs are going to feel like lead because of this. So there's not really much you can do about it apart from getting some recovery. If you are experiencing this, it means that you're in serious need of some recovery. Unlike that first scenario with the high heart rate when you're cruising, you can just head home and it'll balance out overnight or maybe two nights. If you are experiencing this low heart rate, legs feel like lead, you're not able to push hard, then you need to get some serious recovery in Because if you keep pushing the way you have been, whether it be in training or at work or family life, that sort of thing, you're going to get into that slippery slope of overtraining. So what I would suggest is shut the session down, go home, rest up, um, and hopefully you will only take a couple of days to bounce out of it. But it may take longer, so just be aware of that. I hope this has helped... um, answer some questions and clear up a few things. If you have any other questions, please let me know. Remember, I want to take this podcast any direction that you want. So send me in the questions and I will do my best to answer them. Let me know people or things you'd like to see featured in the podcast and I'll do my very best to do it for you. So until next time, get out there and train hard, but most importantly, Train smart.